Would you take your Bibles with me and turn to Matthew chapter 5? This is our last sermon in this series on the Beatitudes, and we're going to stand and read it again together. Matthew chapter 5. So if you would stand with me, and once again, I will read the first half of the Beatitude, and you will respond with the promise. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. You may be seated. Now you may remember that uh, the reason I felt uh, led to do this series on the Beatitudes was because uh, our church was uh, beginning uh, to host a Celebrate Recovery meeting here on Tuesday evenings. And uh, when we first uh, started that, I began to, to talk to some others in the city, other pastors and leaders in the city who were starting that and asking them, you know, what should I do in order to make this a success? What can I do to make sure that uh, Celebrate Recovery gets off to a good start at Broadway? And I met with Rick Hawks, a pastor at the chapel. We had, had dinner together one evening, and uh, one of the suggestions he gave to me was to begin by preaching on the Beatitudes. Because Celebrate Recovery, uh, part of the curriculum for that is, uh, is reflecting on the Beatitudes and the way we live those out in our lives. And so what I'd like to do as we begin today is to, to call Bill up. Uh, Bill Dumbacher is uh, our fearless leader for Celebrate Recovery. And just uh, ask him to share a little bit of how things have gone the first few weeks and how we can be praying for you all. Okay, thank you. Yep. Um, it, is, it has gone pretty well. Um, First of all, I, I want to just say uh, thanks to you, Ryan. Uh, it has been truly a blessing, uh, not only coming alongside, you know, here, but in, in other ways, helping us to get started. And it's been <laughs> a much, uh, much better transition than I could have hoped for. Um, you know, this is something that God called me to probably a few, several years ago. And uh, really kind of really put it on my heart uh, this summer. And it has been a blessing to see the people coming and, and recognizing what we're there for. And uh, we're definitely starting small and we're starting simple. Uh, but it is good. It is definitely good. Um, yeah. And, you know, for those of you who know me, I'm, I'm really a man of few words. But... When I get started on something I'm passionate about, I could talk for a long time. I just wanted to share real quick two things that 
I've been reminded of, you know, these past five weeks of why I wanted to do this. Uh, in Psalms 51, sorry, Psalm 51, uh, David, after, you know, the prophet Nathan uh, came to him and exposed his sin, uh, David says, starting in verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver from me the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. And this is... This is what I'm doing, and this is what the people who are helping me to lead this are doing, is we are, are taking what God has given us, our recovery and our hope and, and the change in our lives, and we are able to help others come along with us. Uh, so, you know, for those of, who have something in their lives that is keeping them from being the, the Christian that they want to be, then this is an opportunity uh, to do that. And that, the other thing I've been reminded of uh, in these meetings is that the things that we deal with in our lives and, and the things that we strive for in trying to become more like Christ, we weren't meant to do it alone. We were meant to do it together as a church, as a family, as a community. And Celebrate Recovery does that. It is a recognition that we are powerless on our own to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish, especially dealing with those deep, deep things in our life that hold us back. And Celebrate Recovery does that, is doing that, and it's been great to see uh, people kind of waking up to that fact. So, Praise God, Bill. Well, let's, let's pray as we begin our sermon today. <laughs> Father, we thank you for what you are doing through Celebrate Recovery already uh, in our city and here at our church. And God, we pray that you continue to do a good work, that as Bill has said, that you would wake people up to the work that you want to do in their lives. Lord, when we open our hearts and ourselves to you and to other people, Lord, healing is possible. And so, Lord, may you continue to do that through Celebrate Recovery. God, we thank you for Bill and for the other leaders and for the work that you're doing in them as they lead, as they step out in faith. Continue to equip them with every good gift that they need to accomplish this work. And God, as we turn to your word now, Lord, I pray that you would speak and call and challenge each of us to new places with you today. In Christ's name, amen. The last beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a couple things by, just by way of introduction that I want to begin with. Uh, the first is something I mentioned, I think in the first sermon that I, I preached uh, a few months ago now. And that is to notice that the first and the last Beatitudes have a different kind of promise than the, all the ones in the middle. 
Uh, the first promise in the Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then at the end, it's kind of like a sandwich. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the promise for the first Beatitude and the last are the same. And those promises are present tense. They are present realities, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In all the other Beatitudes, the promise is a little bit different. The promise is future. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The six promises in the middle remind the blessed person that there is still something to wait and to hope for. Today, we do experience, as followers of Christ, the reality of the kingdom of God in our lives. He is our king. We submit to his rule. We experience his gracious rule and his reign in our lives, but we do not experience it yet fully. There is more yet to come. And the structure of the Beatitudes with those promises at the first and the last, reminding us of that present reality now that the kingdom of God is real, that it's here, that it's present, with those promises in the middle that remind us that there's still future, something to be waiting for, something to hope for, is what makes this last Beatitude possible. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We need to remember that we have a present faith now in light of a future hope that is to come. No one can endure persecution if they are not looking forward to a greater hope. No one willingly suffers in the present unless they believe that that suffering will someday lead to something better. And this is true in any area of our life, spiritually, physically. I mean, think about exercise. Who wants to run 20 miles every week unless they want to accomplish something like finishing a marathon, okay? You don't put yourself through those things unless you want to accomplish something greater. No one willingly suffers in the present unless they believe that that suffering will cause something or bring something better in the future. And so Hebrews 12 says that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. Jesus endured his cross, endured his suffering because he knew that in the future, something greater was to be gained through it, our salvation. The second thing that I want to say by way of introduction is to say that This last of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, that Jesus is clear that uh, we're not blessed if we're persecuted for any reason whatsoever. We're blessed because we're persecuted for righteousness' sake. In other words, blessed are those who are persecuted because they do the right things. There's some people who are persecuted just because they're mean. But blessed are the peacemakers comes before blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who are hunger, who hunger and thirst for righteousness comes before blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit comes before blessed are the persecuted. 
And these characteristics in the Beatitudes describe a single person living in the kingdom of God. The Beatitudes don't describe different kinds of people, like some of us are poor in spirit, and some of us are merciful, and some of us are hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are all characteristics that the Spirit is cultivating in all of us as followers of Jesus. I remember when I was in college, there was a, an itinerant preacher that showed up on our campus one day. He, he called himself Brother Jim. And uh, Brother Jim stood on campus and he began speaking. Um, he wasn't preaching because there was no gospel in it. He began speaking and telling about us about how all of us on the campus were drunkards and all the girls were whores and all the students there were going to be going to hell, etc., 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 and after a while, Brother Jim started to get persecuted. Students started yelling back at him and calling him names, and, began, and he began to declare, blessed am I because I'm persecuted in the name of Jesus. Brother Jim wasn't merciful. He wasn't a peacemaker. He wasn't poor in spirit. He wasn't meek. For the most part, he was just being mean. He wasn't persecuted for the sake of righteousness. So Jesus is very specific here. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Those who are poor in spirit and merciful and meek and who hunger and thirst for righteousness and are persecuted for it. Now the question for us as we live in the United States is how does this passage of Scripture relate to us? Do we as Christians suffer from persecution here in the United States? Here at Broadway, here at Broadway, we are very careful to pay attention to the fact that we are part of the global church. We're very careful to recognize that most of our brothers and sisters in the faith are not Americans. And most of our brothers and sisters in the faith are from different parts of the world. And we know, and each year we even recognize and set aside that persecuted church Sunday where we pray for and recognize and remember the persecuted church throughout the world. And so we know, and we're very aware here at Broadway, of the physical suffering that our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing in other parts of the world. Some of them are put in prison, others are tortured, others are killed. This is happening on our planet today. Now that kind of persecution is not happening, at least not in a widespread way here in the United States. It might at some point, but it's not happening now. But there is another kind of persecution that you and I need to be on guard against right now in the United States as Americans in 2017. There is no other book in the Bible other than the book of Revelation that speaks more about suffering as a Christian than the book of 1 Peter. I want you to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. In this letter, Peter is writing to a group of churches that are going through suffering. Being faithful to Jesus in the midst of suffering and persecution is the theme of the entire letter. I just want to read a few verses for you just to, for you to get a little hint or a little taste of some of what Peter has to say. I'll start at 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the non-believers that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Chapter 2, verses um, 20 through 23. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it, 
But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, that this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed sin, no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because of this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. 1 Peter 3, 14. Even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts set apart, set apart Christ as Lord. 1 Peter 4, verse 14. Well, actually, beginning in verse 12. Do, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of, the glory, uh, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Those are just a few of the, the many verses in this letter that speak about the reality of suffering. And the Christians receiving this letter were suffering due to the culture around them that was insulting them, that were persecuting, that were coming up against them and were resisting, resisting them. And Paul writes this to remind them that as they suffer, that they should suffer as a reflection of Jesus, that they should follow in his example. But what's very interesting to me in this whole letter is that there are only two direct references to physical suffering. To being abused or beaten because of the faith. And one of those is actually directly in relation to a slave and their master. All of, almost all of the suffering that Peter refers to is verbal persecution, insults, slander, false accusations, or social persecution, rejection, or ridicule, or being ostracized from the community. And I think that that is the kind of suffering that we do experience because of our faith in the U.S. today. Throughout the book of 1 Peter, Peter speaks often of suffering abuse by being slandered or by suffering from being ridiculed by the world around us. And what, Pete, and what Peter says to us is that this kind of suffering, the words that people say to us, we need to pay attention to and to be on guard against. And in fact, this kind of persecution can be even more dangerous to our faith than physical suffering. Throughout the history of the church, where the church has suffered physical persecution, believers' faith has often grown. The church has often grown because of that. But what is happening now in our situation is not physical persecution, but it's kind of that, that very slow and steady drumbeat through the words of the culture that our faith is ridiculous. It's increasingly becoming a general assumption in our culture that Christians, especially evangelical Christians maybe, are a bit backwards, just a little bit stupid, or maybe a lot stupid, and maybe sometimes even dangerous. And that the danger is that over time that we would begin to believe these words that are spoken about us. And that over time that our faith would slowly disintegrate because of these words like acid that just kind of slowly disintegrate our faith. You know, and it's no wonder that Peter would write a letter 
reminding us of the danger of this fear of rejection or these words of slander or these words of, um, of criticism. Because you remember on the night that Jesus was arrested, what did Peter say to Jesus so boldly in the upper room? I will never deny you, right? I will never deny you, Jesus. And Jesus said, you will. Three times you will deny me, Peter. Jesus, I will not deny you. And so then Peter has his moment in the garden where he sees these Roman soldiers coming at him and he says, here's my moment to prove to Jesus that I will not deny him. And he takes out his sword and he cuts off one of the men's ears. See, Jesus, I will stand for you against these soldiers who are coming against you. I don't care if they hurt me or harm me or even kill me. Jesus, I'll stand for you. Just a couple hours later, three times, people come to him and say, are you one of his disciples? And for fear of looking foolish, of following a man who's being arrested, Peter denies his Lord three times. It's no wonder that Peter would write a letter warning us of the dangers of feeling foolish for following Jesus. It's unlikely that anytime soon in America that you and I are going to be faced with the choice to either renounce our faith in Jesus or go to jail or renounce our faith in Jesus or die. It's unlikely that we will have a moment like that in our life. But all of us, every single day, are challenged to stand firm against the subtle assumptions of the world around us that our faith is foolish. That the holy lives that we are living are silly and outdated. I want to speak especially to our youth right now. Because your challenge to not conform to the world around you and the pressure that you face in your life is far greater than any of us as adults. The reality of the pressure of your fears to conform to the world, to not live holy lives, is even greater. And it's going to increase more and more in your life. And I want to say to you, do not give up. Do not grow weary in doing good. Continue to press on in your faith. Continue to live a holy life, even when those around you think that you are foolish for not giving in to whatever feels good. Holiness. A life that honors God seems backward, it seems outdated to the world, but it reaps an eternal reward. So when you suffer for, when you, for doing good, when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, Jesus says, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. He doesn't say when you're persecuted that you should retaliate or wallow in self-pity or take revenge. Jesus doesn't even say, hey, you're going to suffer, but just, you know, grin and grit your teeth and bear it. He says, rejoice and be glad about it. And Peter says the same thing in his letter. Don't be surprised if you suffer for the faith as if, faith as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be, rejoice and be glad this is what we should expect. Rejoice that you are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. 
So this brings us to the challenge of living out this beatitude. As we've gone through these beatitudes, I've been naming some of the challenges uh, that we usually face because of the culture around us to live them out and to be faithful to them. And I've usually named particular characteristics of the culture that make this hard. But the challenge of this last beatitude really comes from within, right? It's our own flesh that screams against blessed are the persecuted. Our flesh seeks comfort, not suffering. Our flesh seeks acceptance, not rejection. Our flesh seeks approval, not criticism. So the challenge for us as we seek to live a righteous and holy life and to be willing to suffer for it is that our own heart, our own flesh is at war against this beatitude. Blessed are the persecuted? No, thank you. So the question that Jesus asks us is this, which reward are you seeking? When we consider persecution, especially the kind that we experience in the United States today that I described earlier, we need to consider which reward are we after? Are we seeking the praise of men or are we seeking an eternal reward? Men of Broadway, we have a creed that we say every time we get together, and at the very end of that creed, it reminds us that we are called to invest eternally, that we are called to seek with all of our hearts the greater eternal reward. The Sermon on the Mount talks a lot about reward, talks a lot about reward. Jesus warns us to not store up for ourselves treasures um, on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us that there's some people who do good deeds in their life in order to be seen by other people, so that other people will see them and praise them because they're such good people. And Jesus says that if they do their good works, if they give to the needy, if they pray or if they fast in order to be seen by men and other people see them, Jesus says they've received their reward in full. They wanted people to see them, people saw them, they got their reward. There's no more reward left. And so Jesus says that there is another reward that we should be seeking, a heavenly one, a one that's hidden. And so the question for us is what reward are we seeking? Are we seeking the praise of men? Are we seeking the treasure that this world offers, popularity, influence, acceptance in the eyes of others, or are we seeking the heavenly, eternal reward? Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right now, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The person who is persecuted is a person who is seeking the reward of their king, not the reward of anyone else. This is why Jesus says theirs is the kingdom of heaven, because the person who is being persecuted, a person who is willing to endure present suffering and hardship, is because they know who their king is right now. And they are living now according to his rule and his reality in their lives. Throughout our time in the Beatitudes, I've offered to you some particular practices that the Holy Spirit uses to make us people who live out the Beatitudes. And I've mentioned this one once before, and I'm going to mention it again here, and that's the discipline of fasting, the practice of fasting. I think more than any other, fasting wages war against our flesh. When we fast, 
we are telling our flesh that you are not king. As Jesus said to his disciples one time, that he has food that they know nothing about. When we fast, we are training ourselves in a way for suffering. Paul says in Corinthians that I beat my body and I make it my slave. Paul uses this imagery of athletic training to describe the intensity and the diligence that we should have when we are training spiritually. Now this week, um, it's one of the funner, that's not a word, one of the more fun weeks of my year because March Madness begins. Really enjoy the tournament. I haven't watched a single minute of college basketball uh, this entire year, uh, but I'll watch a lot the next couple weeks. I'm amazed at these 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22-year-olds who, with five seconds left and down one point, standing at the free throw line and making both baskets, with 15,000 people screaming at them, They can only do that because they have shot that shot thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times before. If they had not shot that shot, if they had not practiced that every single day, they would have no hope of making both of those shots while 15,000 people are screaming at them. If we live our entire lives always indulging the flesh, If we are slaves to the flesh, if we are always eating at the very slightest pang of hunger, if we are always giving into temptation, if every night we flip on the TV for two hours rather than spending some time in prayer or the study of the Bible, if every morning we hit the snooze button until the very last minute and neglect time in prayer, if our lives are characterized by indulging the flesh, then what makes us think that we will ever stand in the face of persecution? In that moment when there are five seconds left spiritually, how could we ever stand if we spent our entire lives indulging the flesh and saying, flesh, you are king? And so, we say now, Jesus, king, we make our body our slave rather than being slaves to our bodies. And the Bible offers to us certain practices, one of those being fasting that helps us to train to remember to live under his authority in every area of our lives. A second practice for living out um, this beatitude of blessed are the persecuted for those who are persecuted for righteousness sake is simply praying for those that we know who are persecuted Remembering our brothers and sisters who are suffering causes us to turn to prayer. Remembering them, hearing their stories, remembering that these things that we hear happening, these things that we read about, that they are happening right now here in this world that we live in reminds us that there's nothing that you and I in our own strength and power, there's nothing we can do to relieve the suffering of brothers and sisters. If it's going to stop, it's something that God's going to have to do. And so we pray. And we pray for them, and we pray for their protection. We do pray for their physical protection, but even more than that, we pray for their spiritual protection. Later in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith, because you know that the whole family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. 
And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. Our spiritual enemy is at work in the midst of persecution. He is seeking to cause people to turn away from the faith and to turn away from Christ. And so we must pray for those who are going through persecution that they will stand firm in the faith. Pray for their spiritual protection as well as for their physical protection. And the last practice I want to mention today is fixing our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured this cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's something in this passage that struck me actually just this morning as I was reading it. Verse 2 says that it was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. I think often when I think about and meditate on the cross, I think about how awful that physical suffering must have been, and it must have been excruciating. But here in Hebrews 12, what the writer of Hebrews brings out is that part of what Jesus endured was the shame of people looking at him hanging on the cross. The rejection that he must have felt as he hung there naked and dying on the cross, scorning its shame. So we fix our eyes on him. We meditate on his suffering. We consider his courage and his patient endurance so that in our own day of trial that we can endure as well. And to not only endure, to not simply grin and bear it, but in our day of trial, to know that we can rejoice and be glad because there is a great hope that is waiting for us. Amen? Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your Son taught us these beatitudes, these characteristics of a person living under your rule and your reign and your authority. We thank you Lord, we ask that you would make us people who are poor in spirit, that you would make us people who are meek, that you would make us people who are merciful, that you would make us people who mourn for our sin and for the hurt and evil in our world, that you would make us people who hunger and who thirst for righteousness, that you would make us people who are peacemakers. Lord, that you would make us willing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Lord, and I ask that we would know the promises that we have read each week here at Broadway. As we have stood and as we have read the scripture together, Lord, I pray that we would know the reality of these promises in our own lives today. That we would experience all of them. And that as we look for the ones that are still to come and for 
the hope that we will experience all those in this, the fullness, Lord, I pray that we would not give up, but to continue to pursue you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.